All right, so now I'm going to get into the preach that I already started on. Um, and, and we're going to be we're going through the series on looking at values that shape us. Um, and I've been given the, the joy, the task of doing the local church. So the centrality of the local church. This is what we're going to be looking at today. Um, and as you're aware, and if you have missed some of these, these values are what... Uh, part of being uh, churches of regions beyond. These are some of the stuff we're going to say that we own. These are part of the things that we want to be in our heart as well. This is what reflects whether uh, people know us as regions beyond or just as some church on the island. Um, so we're, this is what we're going through. So we're going through the values. And I just want to give you a quick catch-up because I, I know that not all of you would have uh, been here for all of them. So I'm going to give you a, a quick catch-up what we've gone through so far. Um, so you, you, you know where we're up to. So in the first sermon in the series, um, we had uh, Mark talk to us um, just on what values are and, and how they influence our lives. And he spent a whole a lot of time going through that for us because it's important that we get what values are. Um, and it's, and it, was, it was emphasizing that we need to lay down the worldly values. We need to know that we have worldly values. And we need to pick up what is God's values for us. And it's only picking up God's values that will have our lives transformed. So that was the first week Mark spoke to us on that. Then we had Sue, Kay and Abby. Um, they got, just got back from their mission trip to Bulgaria. And they, they shared to us, uh, to us about mission. And that was a key value. It's a key value in regions beyond mission. And they shared it as... Not as a, this is values of uh, why it's the value of mission is in Scripture. This is, this is not. They have showed us through their experience. And this is what values are. We, we show values through what we do. So they showed us that we are a people devoted to mission. And, um, and it's the basis of us being the reality of God in places that don't know God as a reality. And they shared that quite well in, in what they did and how they stepped out in faith and they, they went to places that, that probably not many Christians or Westerners had been to, um, or they are Westerners, but been to much at all. So it was, that was very good as well. From that, we, we had Paul's passionate talk on faithfulness to Scripture, which was brilliant, and how it, that Scripture, the value that we have Scripture is we hold that high. That is a high value for us. And we measure everything up to that. And the standard, our standards, if they don't match scriptures, then we've got to change. We don't fit scriptures into what we want. We fit to what scripture says. And this is what Paul emphasized. We fit to what scripture says. We then had uh, Mark speak to us on his favorite subject, on grace. Um, thrilled and motivated by grace. Uh, and which once more he showed us that not only are we saved by grace, but grace is the thing that uh, is the very thing that grips our hearts and makes us want to go, there's more than me just saying I'm saved. There's more to this life than me just going, I know God loves me. And that grace, it's that grace, that the undeserved richness, riches of God that just transforms and changes, motivates us to, to want to not only be in relationship to God, but to show God to others. So that was that thrilled and motivated by grace. And then last week we had 
Rodney from Jubilee Church Worthing come and speak to us on the prophetic. Um, and he, he opened up with, with a brilliant prophecy, didn't he? Do you all remember that? If you were here, you would have remembered the lemon tree. And if you got the, the, um, the weekly mailing, you would have got that prophecy on the lemon tree. And I'm not going to go into it now because it's, it's, it's a lot longer. But the key of it is, the two points that I really took from it is, lemon trees shouldn't really grow in this country. And yet there is one growing on the island. And the other thing is, the lemon tree grew strong because it was close to the wall. And the emphasis that we should be close to Christ and God, and God himself will grow something unusual, something not expected. Um, and that prophecy, I, I encourage you, if you don't have it or if you, you've not got it, speak to me or to, to Jill or to Mark or to anyone else who's got it and they'll, they'll send it to you because it is brilliant. Um, so that's what, so the, and, and his word on that is that the church is shaped by the prophetic. When you get a word from God, you, you weigh it, you test it, you say, is that, is that true? Is that right for us? You don't just accept it. You, is that right? Does it line up with Scripture? Does it fit with where got, what God's been saying to us for other stuff? And if it does, you allow that. You allow that to sink in and shape you. And as a church, that's what we want to be able to say, is that we are shaped by the words that God speaks to us. So that was Rodney last week. So we've covered, so far, we've covered devoted mission, faithful to scriptures, thrilled and motivated by grace, shaped by the prophetic. And so today I'm continuing that on with the value of celebrating the centrality of the local church. So the regions beyond booklet, this is what it says, that the, the values book is at the back. If you haven't grabbed one, do grab one. It's, it will be very beneficial to you. And it says this, we have a high view of the church because it is central to God's eternal purpose. This is expressed in each member's devotion to prayer, worship, and service in their local church. I'm just going to grab the water. Thanks, buddy. So, what are values? I'm just going to recap briefly what values are, because it's, it's it will help us. So values are a set of beliefs that are prioritized into guiding principles by which we measure our actions by. Values themselves are not actions. Okay? Values themselves help us to decide how to act. So values are something that we need to keep, that are in our hearts, in our minds, the stuff we think about. Um, but in themselves, they are not actually the actions. They are the means by which we make decisions about practical application. So I just want to give an example of that. So, for example, we can have a value of honesty. So you can value honesty. That's a good thing. I'm going to, I'm going to put that into part of how I live my life. And you go to the shop and you buy something and the, uh, the person at the till gives you back a couple of pounds more than they should have. Now, they don't know, they've given it back, you've counted it up, and in that moment, your values come to the surface. Now, you may not know that, but your values are going to shape the way you react right there. If honesty is a high value, you go, man, that's not right. Oh, sorry, you've given me too much. And, and, and you immediately, and most of you probably won't even think about this as, 
what value do I have in this situation? What, what one should I think about now? It just happens because that's, that's how it works. That's what a value is. Okay? Now, they must be prioritized as well because if they're not, what happens? Well, it, it just, you get into an un, uh, you know, a, a situation that cannot be solved. So, for instance, let's go for that same example. If you value honesty and you value wealth at the same time. Now, in that situation, when you get that change in your hand, which value do you high, uh, is more higher? So if you value honesty above wealth, you'll still give it back. If you value wealth above honesty, you'll just go, well, that's a little bit more in my pocket. And you walk, and, and the value of honesty will take a lower, lower priority, and you won't even really think about that. So this is why we get values. This is why we have values in many different situations. And this is why we must understand that sometimes our values are wrong. And we need to get God's values. And we need to get them into our hearts and into our minds and allow them to shape the way that we act. This is why values are key. So when I'm talking about a lot of stuff about values today, the practical application is not so easy for me to be able to apply today. Because it's a value that you take in, you live with it, And then in situations that come up, if it's in your heart and if it is something that you value, it will outwork in your behavior. And you can only take that if you just say, you you actually own it, that this is me now. This is who I am. This is my value system. So this is what values is. And, And so... Because I'm going to be giving you a little bit more about what the church is and about, and not so much about what you have to do, I'm going to give you permission to zone out if you feel like, oh, he's going on again, and here he goes, we've got more scriptures to read. Okay, if you fall asleep, it's okay, I don't mind, because I'm going to give you the main point right now so you can take it home, okay? And then if you want to listen a bit more, you can, and I'll unpack, and maybe that'll sink deeper into you, but... I'm giving you permission to go to sleep or to zone out. I don't, I don't mind at all because I'm giving you the point now. Don't zone out yet after I've given you the point. That's when you can zone out. So this is the point. Why should we view the, church, the local church highly? Why should we have a high view of the local church? And the simple answer is this, because it belongs to Jesus. Jesus started the church. Jesus died for the church Building the church is Jesus' job, and Jesus will be returning for the church. If Jesus is the center of Christianity, and the church is central to Jesus, then it's very easy for us to see why we should have a high view of the church, isn't it? If you call yourself a Christian, then the church will have, the local church will have, high value to you. It does to Jesus. So that's the main point. Take that and take it home and mull over that. Let that shape you. It's all about Jesus. Why must the church be a central value? Well, it's because God has placed the church in the center of his plans for humanity, for this world. The way, the way that God wants to reach this world is through his church.
So for us to understand what this means, we need to know, like when, when I was given this, you know, the celebrating the centrality of the local church, if anyone's ever looked into something more deeply, the first thing you always do, isn't it? You ask questions. You've got it. Otherwise, it's just nothing more than a statement. So the first question that comes up to my mind is, well, what, what, what is the church? And if we don't define what the church is, then you'll miss the whole point here. So that's what we're going to spend a lot of time defining what the church is. And to do that, we need to look at the source. Or the other way to look at it is we need to look at Jesus and who Jesus is. If you want to understand the church, then you need to understand Jesus. So who is Jesus? Well, if we start right back in Genesis. So... Oh, you've already shut off, haven't you? You're thinking I'm going through the whole scripture now? No, I'm just going to take bits of it. We're not going to go book for book through it. But if we go back to Genesis, we have this account of how sin entered the world. And, and when I say sin, sin entered the world, I'm saying that that's when we chose to go our way and not do it God's way, all right? Sin is, you not, is, is nothing more than you saying, God, you suck, your way doesn't work, I'm doing it my way, all right? And that's what I'm talking about. So, and because of that, corruption comes into the world. Because of that, things don't work as they should because we're going, we're not doing it your way, God. God's ways works. Our way doesn't. And this world is an example of that. And then, then things come out of this corruption, things like lying and murder and deceit and unfaithfulness, pride, sexual immorality, shame, hate, slander, false witness, stealing, lust, and the list goes on. This is what happens when we do it our way. And the world is in a big mess. I don't have to tell you that. You can see it yourself. In fact, I don't even have to look much, much further in my own life to know that the, the world is in a bad place. How often do I get myself into a mess? And I go, what, what am I doing? I know I shouldn't. God, I've, I seem to have just let that anger out one more time. Why? The world's in a mess. And the sin seems to be getting powerful and it seems to have grown. But right at the very start, right at the very start in Genesis, after we've been kicked out of the garden, God gives this promise. And the promise is that although the serpent may strike the heel of the offspring of woman, he shall crush its head. It actually uses it that it will... Different translations put it different way. One says bruise. But I was thinking about this. It says, you know, the serpent will bruise your heel and you will bruise its head. I thought, bruise? That doesn't sound very like, it was just bruised. Jesus only bruised the devil. But I was thinking about it like the other day. I thought, if my kid comes up and kicks me in the, in the, in the heel, I can take that and it's not too bad. But if he kicks me in the head, that's a lot different. I was thinking, if you kick someone as hard as you can in the heel, they may hobble for a while. You kick them as hard as you can in the head. They may never get back up again. So this is not just a, he bruised it for a bit. This is a crushing. This is a strike that dealt a blow that set us free forever. This is, this is an amazing thing. And this promise is right there in Genesis. So right in the beginning, we've, we've stuffed it up. The world's in a mess. We've fallen down. And right there, in comes this promise. There will be one who will be born of a woman who will set you free. It will crush this. Crush what? Sin. What does sin leave to? Death. Death will be defeated. Right in the beginning, right in the beginning, God has promised us there comes a time 
There will come a time. And through all of Scripture then, right up to when Jesus is born, we're in, there's this anticipation. We're anticipating this hero. There's a hero going to come into, into this world. And he's going to defeat death. The ultimate enemy. The enemy's going to be defeated once and for all. And the anticipation of the Jewish nation is that a hero's coming. And you can see that in their outwork, and they're expecting it to be a, a hero a little bit different to what Jesus came as. But nonetheless, they're waiting for this mighty hero to step up and for once and for all destroy death. And we have this right in the start. And who's this that's talking about? Right through Scripture. It's no more than Christ. It's foretelling the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus. The whole of Scripture, from Genesis right through it's about the story of the hero that comes and defeats death. And we have this account of Jesus' birth, and it's, and it's foretold by the prophets. He came humbly. He was sent by his father to fulfill the important mission, that mission. He grew up as a man, learning the customs and traditions of the Jews. He knew the ins and outs of the society. Jesus was culturally Relevant. And then we have this extraordinary story before Jesus' ministry starts. And it's the story of Jesus' baptism. Now, the reason it's extraordinary is because the triune God is there in all three persons very clearly. And it's at the start of it, and this is what happens. The whole three persons, and the Father's there, and Jesus comes down to be baptized. He's baptized, and the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father speaks. And then the Holy Spirit descends on the Son like a dove and empowers Jesus to complete his mission, the mission to destroy the power of death, to destroy the enemy to destroy Satan. And not only is it that mission to destroy, the the ultimate goal of that is so that he may bring many, he may bring many sons to glory, many, many people to glory, so they may know the true and living God. This is the mission of Jesus. Destroy death, bring people into relationship with God. So Jesus is sent by the Father on a mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've heard some of these stuff I'm saying here, a lot of this can be applied to what the church should be doing. We should be culturally relevant. We should know the context we're living in, as Jesus did. We have been sent by God. That is our mission, the Great Commission. And we should be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is not us doing it, people. This is, this is not us trying to build church. This is not us trying to reach the lost. This is the Holy Spirit doing what the Holy Spirit does best. And that's bringing people to Jesus. Do you see the pattern there? We're starting to understand who Jesus is, and straight away it's reflecting what the church is. So Jesus completes his mission by dying on the cross. And three days later... He raises from the dead, and then before he ascends into heaven, he gives a command to wait 
this command to the to disciples, he says, wait in Jerusalem. He doesn't say, all right, now I've given you all that information. We've had a great couple of years together. I've taught you well. Go out and do it now. No, what does he do? He says, wait in Jerusalem. And why are they waiting? For the Holy Spirit. The church can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. I can do nothing that is of eternal worth without the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, wait. Jesus' mission started with the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove and empowering him. The church started by the Holy Spirit descending upon the disciples and empowering them. Do you see that? The same way Jesus' mission started is the same way the church was started. And the disciples, they're all there waiting in the upper room. They're obedient. That's great. They're waiting in the upper room as they've been commanded. And the Holy Spirit descends, not like a dove this time, but like tongues of fire. And what is the disciples' response? Well, the disciples were there praying. And how, what did they do after that? Well, when the, the, the Holy Spirit descended, they continued to pray. But now they were praying in all different languages. And they were praying in tongues. And, and people were starting to hear this. And they're thinking, this is, this is quite early. This is a bit strange. Prayer is important. And when the Holy Spirit descends, we will continue to pray. It doesn't stop. And the response after that, they're they're praying, they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they continue to pray, and people ask questions. And when people ask questions, what is this they're doing? Maybe they're drunk. The first response is not to pray more. That's not to go, oh, that's a bit scary, let's back away. The first response is to preach the gospel. What's the first response of the Holy Spirit when people question? You don't say, well, if we come from, a, from your point of view here and we look at how society is formed and, 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 and the ideas that you've got here, let's, let's try and reason from uh, your point of view why this is such. No, we come and we say, the good news is this, Christ, Christ has done it all. It is finished. And so we have this amazing sermon that, that Peter stands up and he starts preaching to the crowd. The very first public response of the church, the very first public response of the church is to preach the gospel. First public thing that the church does ever. Preach the gospel. Preach Jesus Christ. And that's what what Peter did. He preached Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ risen, and Jesus Christ glorified. The very first thing he did. So we're going to go to Acts 232 to 41, because I want to read this. I, I could talk about it, but you know, it's, let's read it together because it's so powerful. This is Peter speaking to the crowd now, and he says this This Jesus Christ raised up, and of, all, uh, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Just that word certain, I don't know, it jumps out at me. In this world, only Jesus brings certainty. You look at this world and there's nothing but uncertainty. And here we've got Peter, right back there, no different, saying, Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, for certain, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when, you, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, I love that, for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What a preach, eh? What, a, what was it? It's the gospel. It's all about Jesus. The, th- the thing that Peter spoke about the whole time, he said, is nothing else than about Jesus. If you hear nothing else today, just know that it's Jesus. And for certain, know for certain that Jesus is glorified. It was from the very beginning, from the promise in Genesis, until all of this is wrapped up. It has always been and always will be about Jesus. It's all for Jesus. It's all by Jesus. It's all through Jesus. It's all in Jesus. The church is all about Jesus. And Jesus is not a means to an end. Yes, we come broken. Yes, we come hurting. And yes, he does heal us. But he is not the means to an end. You know, Jesus is the means and he is the end. There's nothing beyond that. It starts in him, it ends in him. It's all about Jesus. You see, Jesus places the church in the center of his mission. Jesus tells his disciples that he will build his church. We see that in Matthew sixteen eighteen, that Jesus will build his church. No one else is going to do it. He's not giving it to someone else. This is Jesus's. He's not going to go, I'm going to lie. Do you know what? I'm going to give it to Mark. I'm going to give it to Paul. No. It's Jesus's church and he will build it. Now we have this great joy and opportunity to be co-workers with Christ. That's our joy. But it's his church. We work with him. And not only is Jesus building the church, but he loves the church. He loves it so much that he died for it. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus loves the church. What, what can we do but love the church? If we love Jesus, then we are doing nothing more than loving what he loves. He loves the church. He died for the church. And in fact, Jesus and the church are so inseparable. You know, when Saul was on the road to Damascus and he has that encounter with Jesus Christ, what are the words that Jesus speaks to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's not saying, Jesus doesn't say to Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting those people that believe in me? He did, why are you persecuting me? Paul was going around throwing people in jail who, who were part of the early church. He was seeing people being stoned and, and clapping it on. And when he encounters Jesus, Jesus does not separate himself from the church. He confronts Saul and says, you are doing this to me. Saul responds, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus and the church are inseparable. The gospel can't go out without the church. It's an impossibility. Like if you can show it somewhere in Scripture where that's possible, I'll believe you. But right here, Jesus doesn't even see himself any different from the church. So we started, we started trying to answer this question, what is the church? So that's what we started off with. But it's actually the wrong question to ask. It's not what is a church. It's who is a church. If you keep asking what is a church, you've missed it. You've, you're off the track. In fact, all you'll do is you'll come to a building. Because you go, well, the church is it's a building or a place or an event. That's a church. No, the church is not a what, it's a who. And the word most used to describe church in the New Testament is a word that means gathered or assembled. And this word gathered is not just this gathered in a place like we are today or gathered for an event. This gathered is in the sense that we're gathered to God as well. We gather together, yes, that is what part of the word means, but it also means we're gathering to. So that means that we can gather here together and we can also go out into the world and we're still gathered to Christ. We're still the church. I'm running out of time here. So I'm going to just fly through some of that. I'm going to get to this. <laughs> and I've got way too much here. So. The churches are gathered. Gathered together, yes. Gathered in the place, yes. But gathered, most importantly, gathered to Christ. So it doesn't matter where, where, whether here on Sunday or we're in work during the week, we're still gathered, the gathered people of God. That's what it's getting at. So throughout Scripture, we have this, this call of God saying, I will call you my people. You will call me my God. Your, uh, you will call me. I've just lost that, haven't I? I will call you my people and you will call me your God. Yeah. Um, 
So to answer who the church is, I'm going to give you a, it should come up there now. This is, this is a statement I, I, as, as, as concise as I can think of. It says this, the church is a regenerated people of God, saved by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out the purposes of the Father. There we go. Regenerated people of God, saved by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out the purposes of the Father. And just to understand, so I've put the word regenerated, and you're probably going, what? <laughs> nice word, maybe? Don't know what it means. So regenerated. Just quickly, we're quite good on justification. So justification is God coming and saying, now you stand right before God. Justification is what um, Martin Luther calls a great exchange. I exchange my sin, my wretchedness, in exchange for the righteousness of Christ. That's justification. Now I am... I've got the imputed righteousness of Christ. I can stand before the Father, correct, right. In st- I'm right standing before God. Justification. It's quite, we get that one quite well. Regeneration. So justification we've got is, is the work of Jesus for us. So we've got that, right? Jesus has done something for us. Regeneration is the Holy Spirit's work in us. It's that new life that it says that we get. That's what regeneration is. Scripture talks about it. It's all through the Old Testament. It's through the New Testament. It talks about new creation. I will give you a new heart. I will replace a heart of stone. You'll be a new creation, new desires, new passion, new thoughts, a new man in Christ. No longer a heart that is as dead as a stone, but a new heart that is as, as alive as a heart of flesh. So Jesus came to destroy the enemy, to defeat death, and to gather people unto himself. And the reason for this is in Ephesians 3, 9 to 10. To bring to light for everyone, for everyone, what is the the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That's the mission of the church. To make known to everyone the manifold wisdom of God, so that all may know who rules the heavens. That's the role of the church. Uh, do you know what? I'm just, I think I'm, I'm just going to skip right to the end, people, but... We don't really have much time left now because we need to take up an offering and there's other stuff we need to do. So I'm just going to jump right to the end now. There's a whole heap I'm missing out. I'm, I'm, I apologize for that. It's... So here we go. The reason we highly value the local church... No, actually, I can't jump that fast. Sorry, people. We need to know what the local church is about, okay? And I just, I, I'm, we're going to keep you a bit longer. Please bear with me. Um, the local church, what is the local church for then? Because a lot of I'm talking about it, we could just apply to the universal church. But the local church is the place where disciples are made, right? That's what the local church is about. We gather here together and we, we meet up during the week and we, and we talk to each other and encourage each other because we are actually discipling one another. That's what the church's role is. 
And we can't do that unless we're in a local church. John 13, 34 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We can't do that unless we gather in a local church, people. We can't just meet over the internet and go on, I think that's good enough. It's not. We need to gather. That's the reason local church exists, to gather so that we may be discipled by Christ, yes, but that way we may disciple one another. And by this we may show because people will see the love we have for one another. And then Jesus' great commission, go make disciples of all nations. So the church gathers. We gather why? To send. We gather to send. We gather to make disciples to send so that people would plant churches to make disciples so that they would send. The church is a disciple-making factory. (laughs) That's what it's supposed to be. Why? So that we may send. And we're doing that as a church. And this is what part of Regions Beyond is, uh, is about. And we've done that already this year. We, we, um, in Bloemfontein in South Africa, they planted a new church. And, and we as a church supported that. We, uh, uh, there was um, payment and die over there. It's payment, isn't it? Yeah. They, he lost his job and it was under the threat of having to come back here. And we stepped up as a church and we said, we will, we will send money to you so that you may continue that church plant there. Now, they've, they've had difficult and they've gone through some tough times. But we as a church, that's part of us sending people. And, 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 and Donna and Marungwa, um, Marungwa, we sent him a whole heap of money also that would enable him to go back to Burundi which wouldn't have been possible before. Now he's going to be part of that work and, and the hope and the dream there is to plant another church. Why? So the disciples would be made. Why? So that they would be sent. So now I'll get to the conclusion. We need to know the job of the church is to make disciples. The reason we highly value the local church is because Jesus highly values the local church. Christianity is all about Jesus. And Jesus values the church so much, so much, that he died for it. What would we do any less? Why would we want to do any less? Do we want to be Christ-like? Then we need to love the church. The church is the very expression of God here on earth. It is a very real representation, the physical representation of Christ here on earth. We are Christ in cows. That's the church. God's great purpose has always been to fill the earth with his glory as the waters cover the sea. We, the gathered people of God, the new humanity in Christ, are made to display his glory in this community and every community on the earth. I'm going to finish with Bill Hybel's quote. And you probably heard it, and if you haven't, it's brilliant. Listen to this. There is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It's com- it comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. 
It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. I believe the local church is a hope of the world. We're going to take up the offering now. We're going to put, actually, we're going to put a video up about regions beyond. This is, a, this is a time where if you feel that God's put on your heart uh, that you want to actually give in to what, what Regions Beyond is about, and we are about planting churches. In the year to come, we've already, Regions Beyond is already planting 29 church plants. That's for 2018. 29 church plants. And we can be part of that. And this is what this is. We're sowing into the kingdom, into the, into the disciple-making factory of the church. And if you feel that God's put that on your heart, then come give. Don't give out of obligation, people. Don't give out of misery. <laughs> give out of cheerfulness. Be a cheerful giver. If, if God is, is directing you to do it, this is what we're going to do now. So we're going to watch this video, and then I'm going to invite the guys to come back up and play a, uh, a song. And then come up. We've got IOUs and that. If you feel that you want to give... If you don't, pray again, pray. And maybe next week, God might lay on your heart something about it. So we'll just let's watch this about regions beyond. It is so good to be speaking to you again as a worldwide family of churches, regions beyond. What a great year we have had this past year. Over 2017, we were able to give and gather in and distribute some $200,000 across our wider church family, which is quite incredible for a small family of churches. And as a result of our togetherness in giving, we've managed to achieve so much. For instance, we've planted new churches in the Philippines, UK and in Africa. We've also, which is a great joy to me personally, been able to establish a global team to help carry the load of this ever-growing church movement. As I have said on many occasions, we've also concentrated greatly on training and equipping church leaders, particularly those who will go on to plant new works and be involved in gospel extension. And in all this, we haven't forgotten the poor, and so particularly in India, Africa, and then especially into Burundi, where Donna Bloomfield has been doing such a, a great work, we've been able to give generously and help many of the oppressed poor in that nation. And so from me, I just want to say a very big thank you for your generosity, your commitment, and your togetherness in this great call. We just want to say a huge thank you for your generosity towards Burundi in this last year. Your giving has enabled us to support hundreds of vulnerable families who are destitute. Uh, we've been able to send in food every month and also milk daily to prevent malnourishment in hundreds of children. Um, this has been a real practical demonstration of God's love and through this we're seeing um, 
numbers of people just encounter Jesus. Uh, we now have a church in the city and we're looking to plant another one. I'm thrilled to be able to tell you now we have five churches in Montana, Idaho and Washington that are partnering with us in apostolic mission. I don't want to say a big thank you to you guys because without your support and encouragement, we never would have been able to do this. Thank you so much. We have around 17 churches in India. We are believing for multiplication in the coming year. And we right now we have nine church planting opportunities. And we believe that it will become churches that will bring glory to God. Thank you so much for your giving. Just about five weeks ago, we planted a church in Bulacan. It's a part of Manila in the Philippines. It's just so great to see the church emerge from nothing really and see believers gathered, people who had never believers before, gathered in a community of the Spirit, worshiping Jesus, so excited about what God is doing in their city. This has been an incredible time. I've been involved in the church in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, Rio Vivo Church, and the funds from last year's offering have helped to strengthen that church. And more than that, start two very important projects in the Providencia favela amongst the poorest of the poor in Rio. Very, very exciting. Yeah, we're really thankful for all the money that was given last year and incredible faith shown by people. Here in Southern Africa, we were able to do so much with it, especially training new leaders. And we've been planning many churches in the last few years and alongside that wanting to do a lot of theological training um, to equip our pastors to be able to deal with the day-to-day -day running of their churches. We are really excited about what God's doing in our nation, a nation that really has a lot of challenges, but God is starting to gather churches together and really some common vision for our whole continent of Africa. One of the things that Tora and I have carried in our hearts for years is a church in central London, a spirit-filled, generous community bringing light into the heart of our city, London. And one of the things we're so excited about is the opportunity now, with the generous support of Regions Beyond, to launch a brand new church in central London at the end of 2018. 2017 saw us publish our values for the very first time. And these speak of who we are, our DNA, what makes us Regions Beyond, and our desire to see the glorious church established in each and every nation. We've longed to see our flavor of being there for one another's success very much part of our lives, but also our longing for the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit and many other key values that make us who we are. I recently gathered the global team in Southern Africa for a week of togetherness as we sought God in a great atmosphere of uh, vision and togetherness and calling and the prophetic. And as we looked ahead into 2018, we started to dream about all we can achieve. Just to know there are 29 new church plants underway is just so exciting for us. Last year, we gathered in from our church family some $200,000, and this year we would love to ask you for $270,000. This will enable us to really press into the nations and to meet many of the training needs, the church planting needs, and the needs among the poorer communities in our family. I want to thank you for generosity. I want to thank you for togetherness. Thank you for joining us on this great adventure. And I look forward to seeing you across the nations. God bless.
So that's what it's about. You know, we're, we're sowing into the greater things of God, not just here locally, but around the world. 